Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, welcome to Luke's English Podcast. This is a podcast for learners of English. It's listened to by thousands and thousands of people all around the world. They use this as their free resource for improving their English and also for just listening to some hopefully interesting and entertaining and engaging content. Welcome to the podcast if this is the first time that you've ever listened. Welcome to the show. I hope that you find it satisfactory. I hope that it helps you with your English, and I also hope it helps you to just find something worth listening to, maybe on your daily commute to work, or while you're just doing some housework, or maybe you're just sitting there in front of the computer, maybe even typing a transcript. Luke's English Podcast has been going for over five years now. Um, in the last year, since I moved my audio to a new audio host, that's audioboom.com, since I moved there, the podcast has been downloaded about two and a half million times. My name's Luke Thompson. I'm the host of the show. And uh, I'm an English language teacher. I've been doing this for nearly 14 years, teaching English in different places around the world. I've, I worked in Japan for two years, worked in London for a long time. And now I live and work in France. I'm based in Paris, although I do spend. A uh, fair amount of time every year back in England. It's not too far away, you see. You can just get back to London in, in less than a couple of hours. No, that's not true. That's an exaggeration. You can get back to London in just over two hours. And uh, I can actually walk to Gardenor Station from here. That's the train station that takes you um, through the tunnel, under the sea, under the English Channel, and then you arrive in England, and it deposits you in St Pancras Station in London about two hours and 20 minutes later. I can walk to Gardinor Station from here in about 15 minutes. So I can just walk, and just over two and a half hours later, I can arrive in London. It almost feels like I can walk to London. It's brilliant. Um, welcome to the podcast. As I said, I've been teaching for a number of years. The podcast's been going for five and a half years. It's well popular all around the world. Um, I'm qualified, I've got my CELTA years and years ago back at the beginning and I've done my diploma, that's the Delta qualification too. So don't worry ladies and gentlemen, you are in safe hands here, that's for sure. The podcast has won three awards, admittedly it's the same award each time, but it has been voted three times the best blog uh, for learners of English, that's in the Macmillan Dictionary Award competition. I won it in 2011, 2012, 2013. And it's largely thanks to my devoted and wonderful listeners who um, have various names. Um, they, they're sometimes known as the Luke's English Podcast Ninjas. They're my crack squadron of ninjas who, who you know, can sneak around and learn English effectively. I don't really know why they're ninjas, but they're, they are. I mean, they're not silent, in fact. They're not silent. They're, they're actually quite vocal. Um, some of them do podcasts of their own now. Uh, they have Skype conferences and everything. It's brilliant. Um, so the, the the ninjas or the, the lepers, as they may be called sometimes, the Luke's English podcast people, um, they are a dedicated uh, team of listeners. And uh, three times in a row they voted for me as their favourite blog for learning English, which is ironic because it's not even a blog, it's a podcast. You can go to teacherluke.co.uk where you will find a wealth of information. Not just episodes of this podcast, but you'll also find other content too. And uh, many, many transcripts. In fact, there is a transcript collaboration project going on on the website. And that's where learners of English, uh, listeners to the podcast, uh, can type out 
extracts of uh, transcripts for episodes and then share them with each other. And the result is that we have a growing library of transcripts of episodes of the podcast. So do visit teacherluke.co.uk and you may come across a number of very, very useful transcripts. There's also the Phrasal Verb series, which is called A Phrasal Verb A Day. Uh, and at this moment in time, there are something in the region of 90 episodes of A Phrasal Verb A Day available. All of them have transcripts. What an amazing service this is, and it's all free. Um, now then, now then, now then, what is this episode all about? This one, folks, is all about urban myths. Urban myths. And if we have time, we'll also look at some of the most commonly held superstitions by people in the UK. So for this episode, get your thinking hat on, because it's time to evaluate a few stories, to evaluate a few beliefs, and decide if they really are based in reality, or if they're just the product of an overactive imagination or rumours, or if they're just plain, old-fashioned bullcrap. So, in this episode, we're going to do these things. First, we're going to consider what an urban myth actually is. What is an urban myth? Then we're going to look at a news story about a commonly held belief from another country and we'll decide if it's really true or not. We will then look at some useful language, uh, that is some phrases and some sentences, some expressions that we use to say, basically to say that that's true or that's not true. So there are a, there are a variety of uh, there is a variety, in fact, of different phrases that we use to say whether we think something is true or not. Um, and we'll be looking at some of that useful natural vocabulary in this episode too. And then we're going to consider some commonly told and surprising facts. Um, commonly told and surprising facts and decide if they're actually true or not. So I'll give you a chance to evaluate whether you think some of the things that I'm going to tell you are really true or if they're just made up if they're just urban myths. Um, and if we have time, uh, we're also going to talk about some of the UK's favourite superstitions. That's only if we have time. If we don't have time, then that will become another episode of Luke's English Podcast in the future. Okay, so let's begin with the idea of an urban myth. What is an urban myth? Have you ever heard of that before? Well, essentially, an urban myth is a story or a fact which people spread around as if it's true, but in fact it probably is just made up. Okay, when I say made up, I mean that it's just created, um, it's just been invented by someone, someone just, you know, invented the story. Or maybe it's a story that was based in some truth and it's been exaggerated over time to the point where pretty much it's just not true anymore. Okay, so often these urban myths or urban legends um, are personal stories or anecdotes Typically, second-hand stories, like thing you know, people say things like "this happened to a friend of my brother's girlfriend's cousin," you know, that sort of thing. And but it's absolutely true, so it's never something that is a first-hand account. Usually, it's something that someone else, like a friend of a friend of a friend, has experienced, um, and it often involves something horrible, scary, and shocking. Okay. Um, urban myths may also just be commonly held beliefs about something which are not based on any real evidence or fact but are perpetuated out of misinformation or just as a hoax. Okay, Now, superstitions, on the other hand, are similar but they're not exactly the same. A superstition is a widely held belief that certain actions or are lucky or unlucky like the idea that the number 13 carries some kind of magic power, or that not making eye contact when you take a drink and say cheers with someone, if you don't make eye contact when you say cheers, that you'll have seven years of bad sex. So where's the evidence that this is true? There isn't really any. And yet many rational people still hold on to these ideas. In fact, many rational people still have that element of suspicion in the backs of their minds whenever they do some potentially unlucky behaviour. And I'm included in that list. If I ever, you know, if I'm walking up a flight of steps and I realise that there are 13 steps, usually I kind of get slightly uncomfortable, which is ridiculous because I don't really believe in any of that stuff. Um, so, you know, you might find that many reasonable people do get a sense of um, uncertainty around um, superstitions like walking under a ladder or opening an umbrella inside a house. P 
perhaps some of these superstitions are grounded in truth. Maybe there's some element of truth in there. But in many cases, they're just weird little glitches in our thinking. Every culture has its unique urban myths and superstitions. And in this episode, we're going to explore a few urban myths. First of all, one from Korea, and then some from the UK or America. I'll tell you some things that you can... I'll tell you some things, and then you can use your critical thinking to decide if they're really true or if they're just myths, okay? Um, So um, we'll we'll be focusing on the idea of urban myths, like stories or um, beliefs which are spread around as if they're true, but they may actually not be true. And if there's time, we'll go on to look at superstitions as well, okay? So let's think of some urban myths. Now, the, the most common urban myths are those sort of little horror stories. But I think urban myths, the, the concept of an urban myth, also includes various other sort of widely held beliefs. Why the, why the word urban in there? I think that in many cases, these are stories that come out of the city. Um, they're stories which are spread around by word of mouth, um, that kind of thing. Um, so let's see. Here are a few typical urban myths which I remember being told by children at school. Now, I wonder if you have the same urban myths in your culture. I'm just going to tell you three very quick stories. Um, Imagine that, you know, my brother told these to me or other kids at school told these to me as if they were absolutely true. Um, So the first one is is like this. Okay, so um, a friend of mine in my class, her sister, um, she had this really weird experience. Um, She is a babysitter and she was babysitting this this um these two kids for a friend of the family she was in this big old house babysitting for them the kids had gone to bed and she was basically alone in the house okay um and she received a phone call she thought oh maybe that's the parents she picked up the phone and it was like one of those creepy uh callers going uh, saying things like i know where you are i'm i'm going to come and get you and she quickly put the phone down but the calls kept coming in all night this creepy guy i'm going to come and find you i know where you live um and uh, she kept putting the phone down eventually she called the police and the police um the police officer on the other end of the line said what you should try and do is next time he calls hold it keep him on the line and keep talking to him and then what we will do is we'll try and trace the call and we'll find out where he is and then we can come uh, we can you know go there and and arrest him okay and she's like okay i don't really like this idea of having to speak to him but i will so the next time he called she picked up the phone he was like i'm gonna i'm gonna come and get you i'm a nasty geezer i'm gonna come and get you and she's like oh you're gonna come and get me are you oh that's 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 interesting what's your name he's like i ain't telling you my name but i am gonna come and get you (laughs) i'm gonna come and get you um and she managed to keep call keep him on the line um and the police were there as well and um after like after three minutes the police had told her just three minutes is enough after three minutes she quickly put the phone down the police immediately called her back with some panic they were like get out of the house get the kids out of the house and she's like why we've traced the call and the call is coming from the bedroom at the top of the house okay you know that kind of stupid story um well that's that's one example here's another one by the way did you get that did you get the, the the details of that that after the police had traced the call they discovered that the creepy guy, I'm going to get you, that guy, he was actually in the same house with the girl. She was in an upstairs bedroom. So, yeah, okay. Crap, isn't it, really? But anyway, here's another story. This one is called The Worm. The Worm. And this happened to like um, uh, a friend of my mum. And she, what, she, um, what happened to her is that she, she suddenly found that she was like losing weight she was losing weight really quickly and like she's getting more and more skinny it was really weird and yet even though she was getting skinny she was getting hungrier and hungrier and she had to keep eating and eating and no matter how much she ate she just kept feeling hungrier and hungrier and it was um it was it was really really troubling her and she didn't know what it was that that doesn't matter how much food she put inside her she always felt hungry and in the end what she did is she went to um she went to a doctor. She went to this like doctor down a dark street somewhere in this, in town, and uh, the doctor s- examined her and stuff. And he said, "Okay, I'm going to try something. 
I think I know what's wrong here. I'm going to try something. And what he did is he, he went into the back and he came out with a plate. And on the plate was a big beef steak. Just a big raw beef steak. And he put it on the plate and he said to her, just sit down here at this table. Sit down. I know that you're hungry, but don't eat this steak. Instead, I just want you to look at it. So she sat there looking at the steak. And after about half an hour, suddenly she felt really sick. She felt really nauseous. And she felt like she was going to throw up. But what happened was, when she went to throw up, she didn't vomit. Instead, what happened is a huge black worm came out of her mouth, came all the way out of her mouth and started eating the steak. And what it was, was that the whole time she just had a worm in her stomach. And the worm, the more she ate, the more the worm grew. And the worm was just eating all the food that she put in her stomach. And that's why she was getting so thin. And yet that's why she always felt hungry. It's because of this horrible big black worm which came out of her. And the doctor whacked it with a hammer and killed it. Okay. Um, Now, the last one is called the spider's nest. Okay. The spider's nest. And this is... um, Let's see. Okay, so this this happened to a friend, um, the father of a friend of mine, and what happened was that he needed some surgery. Okay, he had um, um, he he needed his appendix removed. You know, the appendix it's like a something in your belly, which um, I don't really know what it's for. You can survive without it, but sometimes it gets infected, and it causes a condition called appendicitis. That's an, an effect, infected appendix. So he had to have his pe- appendix removed, and he went into surgery. It was just normal routine surgery, um, and um, had the surgery, had the appendix out, and then weeks and weeks later, he found that where the surgery had taken place, there was a lump, like this lump, and it kept growing and growing, and it was like really weird. And he's like, "What's this lump?" And um, it got so big that he went back to the doctor and said, look, can you can you look at this for me? This is very weird. I don't know why, but there's a lump growing just above where the surgery took place. And the doctor um, lay him down on the table and he decided to lance this lump, meaning slice it off with a knife. And as the doctor cut into the lump, the, the lump opened and immediately thousands of little spiders spilled out all over the place. All these spiders came out of the lump. Uh, it's disgusting, isn't it? What had happened was, during the um, operation on his, on his appendix, the surgeon hadn't realised that a spider had crawled inside you see, a spider had gone in just before they sewed him back up. A little spider went inside without anyone realising and it laid loads of eggs in, in that space because it's a warm place to incubate the eggs of the spider. And the spider eggs grew and grew and then when the doctor cut the, uh, the, the, the lump open, all the spiders came out. Yeah, that's right. And it's true. You've got to be careful. You've got to be careful if you have an operation. You have to make sure that uh, the doctors don't let any spiders in. In fact, there's a special breed of spider which um, actively seeks uh, like like cuts or holes in the body so it can lay its spider eggs in a warm place. Ugh. Okay, now don't worry because none of those things are true. But those are three stories which I was told when I was a kid and which... Um, in fact, I was told those stories a few times um, as if they were true stories, as if they actually happened. So all those stories are supposed to make you go, oh my God! Okay, and people um, p- people say that they're true just to add some extra horror. But of course, none of those stories are true, I think. Well, I d- you know, I'm sure they're not. The call of the worm, the spider's nest, surely not. Anyway, let's now go on to look at some more specific um, urban myths. Not just scary stories, but commonly held beliefs which are perpetuated even though there's not necessarily any evidence to suggest that they're true. Um, so, let's see. Have a, let's think about these questions. Do you believe that everything that you read in the newspapers? What about things that you read on the internet? How about things you hear by word of mouth? Where does misinformation actually come from? Is it always shared by word of mouth or online? Is it possible that misinformation is spread by newspapers, by the media? And how do you know if a story is true or if it's just an urban myth? Um, I like these kinds of things because I've got a slightly sceptical mind and I like to question things I read in the newspaper. I don't know about you. Um, Of course, you can, as always, you can leave your comments and I invite you to do so. Teacherluke.co.uk. Find the page for this episode 
uh, and leave your comments um, and questions and ideas and urban myths in the comments section. The comments section above, uh, below episodes on the podcast now are becoming very active places for discussion and I think that's fantastic. So please do in, join the debate and leave your comments. Um, now let's have a look at this particular urban legend and I want you to think with me, is this true or is this just a myth? Okay, now I'm going to have a little sip of some coffee now because I'm drinking coffee. Please excuse me but um, I consider that to be a basic human right. Even while recording episodes of the podcast, I do have the right to drink hot beverages, coffee, maybe tea, something like that. Uh, in this case, it's coffee. Mm. <sighs> Lovely. Okay, so um, I found a, um, a newspaper story in uh, the Metro newspaper. The Metro is um, a free newspaper which you find on the London Underground when you go on the train, usually you find loads of papers lying around. It's normally the Metro, okay? So it's a paper that loads of people in London read all the time. It's not the best paper in the world. Um, it's by no means um, the most reliable paper in the UK, but it's still a very common paper. And they tend to uh, print fairly lightweight, quite entertaining stories in the, inside it, okay? So I found this head, this paper, I found this story in the Metro, and the title of the story is The Cool Chill of Death. The Cool Chill of Death. So think about that headline. What do you think the article is about? So you can probably start thinking about some predictions. In fact, when you read a newspaper article, um, it's quite good to look at the, uh, the, the, the title and start imagining the content of the story. So The Cool Chill of Death. Any idea? Well, let me now just pre-teach some vocabulary to you. So th these are some items of vocab that you will hear in this newspaper's story, which I'm going to read to you. Um, so bear in mind the, the title, The Cool Chill of Death, and also these items of vocabulary. Can you guess what the article is about? Okay, so um, The Cool Chill of Death. Um, here's the first uh, item of vocabulary, on the loose. Now, if something is on the loose... It means that it's free, it's escaped, it's not in prison, it's not ca in, in captivity. So you might say that there's a, a tiger on the loose in Paris, which is a story that was in the newspapers recently. There's a tiger on the loose. So a tiger has escaped from the zoo and it's free, it's on the loose. Okay. Um, you might say that a, uh, a murderer, a serial killer, has escaped from prison and he's on the loose. Um, somewhere north of London. Okay, so on the loose means to be um, uh, free, not in prison, not in captivity. Okay, um, what else? The next word is humble, to be humble. Humble is an adjective, and if you are humble, or if something is humble, it means that it's modest. Okay, so, um, so if someone is, let's say you, you meet um, someone who is an incredible guitarist, like the best guitarist you've ever heard, even better than Jimi Hendrix, and you say to them, you are an incredible guitarist, and the person goes, oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm okay, really, I, I'm, I do my best, I'm trying to learn. And the person goes, wow, he's so humble, isn't he? So to be humble. The opposite of that would be to be arrogant or big-headed. So humble, okay? So something small, something insignificant could be considered to be humble as well. Number three is the the, the words uh, rumble and grumble. Rumble and grumble. Now, these both refer to sounds that you might hear. So rumble might be, let's say, for example, if a train goes, if an underground train goes under your building, then you might hear that kind of sound, which is a rumbling sound. If there's an earthquake some you know a few miles away you might hear a kind of, you might get a kind of rumbling sound um rumble when you have um thunder in the sky sometimes you get a rumble of distant thunder Th thunder that's not even a word you might hear a rumble of distant thunder for example okay that's a rumble and grumble well Grumble is actually a verb meaning to complain about something, to grumble. But it can be a, a, an onomatopoeic kind of word to, to refer to a sound, a bit like rumble. So rumble and grumble is like... 
So basically, rumble and grumble refer to those kinds of sounds, um, sort of scary noises that could be made by thunder or made by a monster or something like that. Okay. Um, number four, to be convinced. To be convinced that I think you know that one. If you're convinced that something is true, then you're completely sure. You're absolutely certain that it's true. Okay. Uh, number five is the word vacuum. A vacuum. Now, a vacuum is a place, um, a space that has no air inside. So if you suck all the air out of something, it becomes a vacuum. So like, for example, in deep space, that's a vacuum. There's no air, there's no atmosphere. So sound doesn't travel, um, for example. So a vacuum is a space with absolutely no air inside. Uh, number six is the word hypothermia. Hypothermia. And hypothermia is a fatal condition um, which is caused by very low body temperature. For example, if you have to sleep outside in winter, in the snow and the ice, it might be so cold that your body temperature goes very low and you suffer from hypothermia, which can kill you. Okay, so hypothermia is a fatal condition caused by low body temperature. And then number seven in the in the list is actually the, the term an urban myth. So we've already established what an urban myth is. It's a story which is not true, but which people think is true. Okay, um, so there we have on the loose, humble, rumble and grumble, to be convinced of something, uh, a vacuum, hypothermia and an urban myth. Have you got any more ideas about the story? The cool chill of death? I wonder. Now, let me read the first paragraph of this news story to you, and you can just check if your predictions are correct. So here we go, the, from the Metro on the 14th of July. The cool chill of death. Be afraid. Be very afraid. For as summer continues, there's a new killer on the loose. It rumbles and it grumbles, and it's the humble electric fan. For in South Korea, from Seoul to Songnam, People are convinced that you can die by leaving one turned on in your bedroom overnight. So that's the first paragraph. So do you get the idea? Basically, this is a, this is a story about an urban myth. Maybe not an urban myth, but uh, a belief in South Korea that if you go to sleep um, at night in a closed room and you have a, a fan blowing air on you, that you could die. Okay. Now, let me, let me read the, the whole article to you. So, be afraid, be very afraid, for as summer continues, there's a new killer on the loose. It rumbles and it grumbles, and it's the humble electric fan. For in South Korea, from Seoul to Songnam, people are convinced that you can die by leaving one turned on in your bedroom overnight. Various explanations have been given for how the fans kill people. From their cooling effect resulting in hypothermia, to the vacuum created around the victim's face. These explanations fly in the face of medical opinion, yet Korean newspapers report an annual average of 10 fan deaths, and some Korean doctors are convinced of the hazards of sleeping with a fan switched on. Clinical support. Dr. Yeon Dong-su, Dean of Kwangdong University's medical school, has investigated dozens of cases of fan death and insists that they do occur. Many people say these victims die from lack of oxygen, but that is not true, he says. Hypothermia does not only occur in the winter when it's cold. The symptoms can also take place if a person has been drinking and turns on a fan in a closed room. Most people wake up when they feel cold, but if you're drunk, you will not wake up, even if your body temperature drops to below 35 degrees centigrade, at which point you can die from hypothermia. It seems more likely that it seems more likely than not that fan death is actually little more than an urban myth. Most of the newspaper reports omit other causes of death, from heart attack to gunshot wound, but it's very hard to find a Korean who doesn't believe in the phenomena. To the point where fans in Korea are fitted with timer switches to ensure their owners avoid certain death. Possible cot death. A, person, a spokesperson for the Korean Tourist Board says, This is certainly a serious and widely held belief in Korea. It appears to come from reports of people dying in the night, and the common factor is that the fan was running. 
The actual cause of death could have been something totally different, including cases of what, in the West, people would call cot death. Fan death has also become a cult internet phenomenon, thanks to message boards populated by English teachers in Korea who are baffled by their students' belief in this notion. Robin Prime, who set up the website www.fandeath.net, says, I was shocked at how powerful my Korean friends' and students' belief was and at the lack of critical thinking about the issue. Urban myth expert Dr Robert Matthews of Aston University explained how a shaggy dog story becomes a widely held belief across a country. He said, Urban myths often have a grain of truth in them that then suffers from the Chinese whisper effect, with the facts being lost behind ever more embellishment. Clearly it's true that an extractor fan could suck all the air from an airtight box. But it's also true that people sometimes die from inadequate ventilation. It's a safe bet that many of these deaths will also have occurred in homes fitted with fans simply because many homes in South Korea have them. And hey presto, you've got a dodgy link plus an irrelevant scientific fact to back it up. The truth is, of course, that buildings are notoriously leaky and fans don't have a hope of sucking out all of the air. Okay, so just to be clear, the article says that some Koreans believe that if you go to sleep in a closed room with a fan blowing directly on you, that you can die. And then it goes on to look at some of the evidence and arguments for and against this claim. Now, I'm not saying that all Koreans believe this, but I, but I know for a fact that some do. In fact, many Koreans that I've met do this. And I've spoken about it with numerous Korean students that I've met in my career. And many of them were adamant that, it's, that it is true. But is this true or is this, is this just a myth? Is this something that happens everywhere or is it just something that affects Koreans? Is that even possible? Why is it that only Koreans uh, are affected by fan death? Why doesn't it happen to everyone else? Why is it this specific thing in Korea? Well, let's discuss the article. So what do you think of the article? Um, do you think that the writer is being a bit snobbish about South Koreans? Well, um, I don't... I think that the, the writer is looking down a little bit on these slightly odd beliefs. I don't know if he's being snobbish about South Koreans in particular. I think instead that the writer is just sort of judging um, a, lack of uh, a lack of critical thinking. So it's not really about South Koreans, it's just a lack of critical thinking. It doesn't matter where this article... This, this story could come from any culture. I think it would still be treated in the same way. What do you think, ladies and gents? Do you believe in fan death? Do you come from a country other than South Korea in which people believe in this? Uh, and if you do believe it, then why? How? How can it really happen? We're going to look at some of the suggestions uh, in a moment in this episode. Do you ever sleep with a fan blowing on you at night? Have you ever done that? Have you ever experienced any sort of weird uh, health-related issues because of that? Um, so fan death is said in the article just to be an urban myth. Uh, but do you know any other urban myths like this? Well, let's see. Let's look at some of the arguments for fan death. This is by people who think it really is real. So first of all, one of the arguments apparently is that what happens is that the, 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 the blades of the fan somehow slice the oxygen molecules in half. They actually break the oxygen molecules. And then as a result, you can't breathe them and you suffocate to death. Well, I'm not a scientist, but I have enough scientific knowledge to know that that's just ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, you can't slice oxygen molecules in half like that. I know that the, the blades of a fan spin very quickly, but they're not slicing the oxygen in half. And how do you slice oxygen molecules in half anyway? If you did slice an oxygen molecule in half, surely you'd end up with like I don't know, wouldn't you find some product, like wouldn't it produce water or something? I don't know, I think that's really weird. So I don't believe that that's possible. So I think uh, immediately we can just reject that idea. Um, the other idea is that you can die from hypothermia uh, because the fan prevents you from sweating and then you freeze to death. Well, let's look at the hypothermia idea. Is it possible that um, the fan can cool you down 
to the point that you you get so cold that you die? Well, as far as I understand, a fan doesn't actually reduce the temperature of the room. The fan just blows the air around the room. It's not actually reducing the temperature. It can make it feel like that it can make it feel that that your skin is cooler because of something like convection as the air passes over your skin somehow it allows the heat to be released from your skin more easily so i think that it can cool you down but i don't think that a fan can make your body drop so low i don't think it can make the temperature drop down so low that you actually freeze to death or that you die i think it just maybe lowers your temperature by one or two degrees which i think is not enough for hypothermia maybe there's the idea that the drunk people they fall asleep and then the fan is killing them but come on i mean that's not the fan is it i mean maybe that's a guy who's just drinking far too much and it's not really the fan and why attribute the death to the fan clearly it's the alcohol i mean if you if you drink so much that um that you that you're you're like um exposed to potential uh, death in normal circumstances like for example sitting in front of a, a fan then i don't think it's the fan i think it's the alcohol that to me smacks of denial that sounds like whoever said that it's the fan and not the alcohol is clearly avoiding the problem the problem is that this is a man who either has drunk way too much on this particular occasion or this is a man who's just habitually drinking so much that the alcohol kills him why blame it on the fan i mean that just seems like denial it's 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 not exactly open-minded critical thinking there is it um but is it possible to die from hypothermia mm, um, in in the case of a fan I don't I don't think so. I don't think that a fan can drop the temperature enough for you to die. But maybe there are some specific situations in which it's possible. But this idea written here is that uh, the fan prevents you from sweating and then you freeze to death. But but the whole point of sweating is that it cools your body down. When you sweat your body cools down because the the the, the water or the sweat on the surface of your skin helps to reduce the temperature. So preventing you from sweating would make you get warmer not colder that doesn't make sense another idea is that the fan creates an air sucking vortex like the eye of a tornado so the the spinning motion of the fan blows the air into a vortex and in the center of that vortex there is a vacuum and you can't breathe inside the vacuum now again i'm not a scientist but i think that just causing a kind of tornado effect it doesn't suck all the air from the middle i mean in the middle of a tornado you know those big twisters that you see you know you see them in movies and on in tv shows they're very common in in the midwest of the usa those huge twisters and you do get at the center of the the, the vortex the center of the twister the um the what do you call it hurricane tornado in the center there is an eye they call it the eye of the hurricane the eye of the tornado and that's where everything's calm there's really no wind but it's not a vacuum there's still air in there it's just that the air isn't moving as fast as it is you know around the edge so i'm sorry but a vortex does not create a vacuum you can't just suck all the air out of something by by creating uh, a whirlwind effect um um so those both all three of those things seem to be sort of terribly misinformed based on very dodgy science um now actually there is a wikipedia page for fan death which is quite interesting and it does go through some of the ideas so let me go through some of the 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 details on the wikipedia page um so the origin the origins of this belief well apparently the genesis of this misconception is unclear we don't really know where it comes from but fears about electric fans date almost from their introduction in korea with stories dating back to the 1920s and 1930s warning of the risks of nausea asphyxiation and facial paralysis from the new technology hmm okay uh, nausea that's feeling sick it's possible i suppose asphyxiation that's where you can't breathe facial paralysis that's where your face freezes like you get um paralyzed in your face i've heard the ideas that if you have a wind or a breeze or a draft blowing on your face when you sleep then it can cause facial paralysis but i wonder how 
Um, there is also a conspiracy theory, and I love a good conspiracy theory, I really do. There's a conspiracy theory that the South Korean government created or perpetuated the myth as propaganda to try and reduce the energy consumption of South Korean households during the 1970s energy crisis. That's an interesting one. So here are the proposed causes. Hypothermia is abnormally low body temperature and so on. So we talked about hypothermia. And here's a response to it. Empirical measurements as well as simple thermodynamics, show that fans do not cause room temperature to drop. If anything, it should um, actually raise the, the room temperature slightly because of the friction in the fan and the fan's motor heat output. But that is negligible, but certainly the fan will not reduce the, the temperature of the room. Fans actually lower body temperature by increasing the convection around a person's body so that heat flows into the air more easily and by vaporization as perspiration evaporates from the body. Um, okay, so it does, it can lower body temperature. No scientific study indicates that this effect could cause hypothermia unless the temperature. Uh, was already very low. The perception of warmth and cold is physiologically different from actual empirical measurement of heat, as shown by phenomena like the wind chill factor. The movement of the air from fans has a similar to a effect to that of wind blowing on the skin, but uh, it seems that you can't uh, it, it can't reduce the temperature to a low enough point for hypothermia to take place. So I think that we can probably assume that the hypothermia idea is debunked at this point but we'd need to we need to go into a lot more detail with proper um like scientific tests and, and all that stuff um then there's the idea of asphyxiation that's the idea that um somehow people can't breathe because the bland the the, the fan is blowing the air away or something so it says it's alleged that fans may may cause asphyxiation due to oxygen displacement and carbon dioxide intoxication so in the process of human respiration, that's breathing, inhaled air uh, is exhaled with a lower concentration of oxygen and higher concentration of carbon dioxide gas, causing a gradual reduction of oxygen and a build-up of carbon dioxide in a completely unventilated room. But I don't think that the fan has any any effect on that if the room is completely unventilated like it's a completely sealed chamber then naturally when a person breathes eventually they will breathe all the oxygen out of the room so i don't think the fan has any any reference to that so um, according to the straight dope website run by the chicago reader asphyxiation is an unlikely cause of fan death it's unlikely because few rooms are totally sealed and the fan would tend to keep the carbon dioxide and other gases well mixed. So the asphyxiation idea is is just ridiculous. And I, I still don't believe in the idea of the vacuum. I mean, that's just impossible, isn't it? Um, right, there is more stuff here. There's, there's loads and loads of stuff. Um, let's see about um, how it's hard to imagine a death by hypothermia. Um, because the room wouldn't the, the temperature wouldn't drop low enough um let's see dr john linton of yonsei university severance hospital who is licensed to practice medicine in south korea has said this he said there are several things that could be causing the fan deaths things like pulmonary embolisms that's a sort of uh, a burst of the of a blood vessel near the heart cerebrovascular accidents that could be um, like a, a, um, a blood vessel in the brain um, bursting. Arrhythmia or, or, or uh, I think that must be uh, a heart attack. There is little evidence, there's little scientific evidence to support that a fan alone can kill you if you're using it in a sealed room. Although it is a commonly held belief among Koreans, there are other explainable reasons for why these deaths are happening. So that's from a... Um, uh, a, a doctor in a Korean hospital. Um, Dr. Lee Yoon Song is a professor at Seoul National University's Medical School and works with the school's Institute of Scientific Investigation. He has conducted autopsies on some of the people who have been described in Korean media as having succumbed to fan death. And he said this, when someone's body temperature drops below 35 degrees, they do start to lose, lose judgment ability. So if someone was hiking and later found dead, that could be part of the reason. What? So if someone is 
someone gets cold enough to 35 degrees they stop they don't they can't judge things correctly so that could cause hikers to die all right but we can't really apply this to fan accidents i found that most of the victims already had some sort of disease like heart problems or serious alcoholisms so hypothermia is not the main reason for death but it may contribute he blames the South Korean media for the persistence of this urban legend. And he says, Korean reporters are constantly writing inaccurate articles about death by fan, describing these deaths as being caused by the fan. That's why it seems that fan deaths only happen in Korea, when in reality these types of deaths are quite rare. They should have reported the victim's original defects, such as heart or lung disease, which are the main cause of death in these cases. All right, so I think that concludes our evaluation of the fan death idea. Um, do leave your comments, though, and particularly, I'm very interested in hearing from any listeners I have in South Korea. What do you think? Um, you've heard some of the evidence from specialists. Um, but do you still believe in in fan death in fact did you believe it in the first place do any of your friends or family believe in fan death tell me what you think okay then let's move on to look at some useful language so we're already 45 minutes into this episode wow um time really flies it really does when i'm recording these podcasts so useful language for saying that it's true or it's not true so here are a number of expressions. So first of all, let's let's look at ways of saying that it's not true. So if you're skeptic if you're skeptical about something, you might want to express that you don't believe it. So you could say things like this: "There's no way that's true." There's no way that's true. Can you repeat it? There's no way that's true. Um, that is so obviously made up. That is so obviously made up. Or that's made up, meaning invented, created. That is so obviously made up. Um, oh, that can't be true. That can't be true. That's ridiculous. That can't be true. All right, how about this one? That sounds pretty far-fetched to me. That sounds pretty far-fetched. If something is far-fetched, it means it's difficult to believe. Okay, that sounds pretty far-fetched to me. That sounds pretty far-fetched to me. That sounds pretty far-fetched. Okay, fetch, it's like the word you say to a dog when you throw a stick. Fetch, and the dog runs and, and fetches the stick. Hmm, that sounds pretty far-fetched to me. Can't really explain the expression far-fetched. It just means it's, it's remote. It's like, you know, far from being true. And then simply, I think that's not true. I think it's not true. And then, nah, it smells a bit fishy to me. That smells a bit fishy. If something smells fishy, it smells uh, suspicious. Nah, I think it's probably made up. Oh, it sounds fake. So, nah, it smells a bit fishy to me. And then finally we have, well, it's possible, but it's unlikely. You know the words likely and unlikely? If something's likely, you think that it's, there's a good chance that it's true or there's a good chance that it, it's going to happen. And if it's unlikely, you think there's a, there's a low chance. Okay? And then here are ways of saying that you think something is true. You could say, I reckon that's definitely true. Now, reckon. Reckon is just another way of saying think. I reckon that's definitely true. And then, ah, there's a good chance that's true. There's a good chance that's true. You could also say, oh, that's, that sounds pretty likely to me. That sounds pretty likely to me. Um, I'd say that's probably true. I'd say that's probably true. And then, oh, it sounds pretty convincing to me. It sounds pretty convincing to me. And then, oh, that might be true. Or, that could be true. Okay, so there are, um, there's a selection of phrases that you can use to say whether you believe something or not. Now what we're going to do is um, listen to descriptions of six stories which people commonly talk about, or well, I say commonly, six um, sort of widely held beliefs which for me are on the borderline. The sort of borderline ideas, maybe they're true, maybe they're not. These are things that I've heard people talk about in the past. They may be true, they may not be true. So I want you to just listen to these um, little 
you're going to hear little dialogues, six dialogues between me and one of my old colleagues called Deb. Uh, I used to work with her at school. I did the diploma with Deb. Uh, I haven't seen Deborah for ages, but um, I recorded these conversations a few years ago because I made um, a lesson out of all of this stuff. So I sat down with Deb and we um, recorded these little dialogues and uh, I want you to listen to them and decide if they're true or if they're just myths, okay? Now, I'm not going to tell you now if they're true or if they're just myths, okay? So I want you to try and use your critical thinking in your judgment and leave a comment, uh, teacherluke.co.uk, find this episode, leave a comment, and I want you to tell me if you think these things are true or not. Uh, please feel free to use some of the useful language which I've just uh, explained to you there. So are these stories true or just myths? And you're going to hear these six things. Here are the six basic concepts that you're going to hear me talk about with my friend Deb. Okay, first one is Coca-Cola used to contain cocaine. Coca-Cola used to contain cocaine. The next one is, if you give Alka-Seltzer to a seagull, it'll explode. (laughs) Alka-Seltzer is like a sort of um, medicine. It's a, a white pill. You put it in water and it dissolves into the water. It dissolves into the water and then you drink it and it helps to clear up uh, an upset stomach. A seagull is a bird that lives near the beach. And if you give Alka-Seltzer to a seagull, it'll explode. Boom! Um, next one is Walt Disney's body is cryogenically frozen. If, something's, if, if a body is cryogenically frozen, it means it's put in a... Uh, it's, it's frozen, basically, and preserved. So Walt Disney's body is cryogenically frozen. Number four is there are albino crocodiles living in the New York sewer system. There are albino crocodiles living in the New York sewer system. A crocodile, you know, albino means that it's white. So you know that you sometimes get albino uh, animals and albino people. It just means the skin pigment is is uh, without colour. It's just white. So there are albino crocodiles living in the New York sewer system under the streets of New York. Is it true? Or is it not true? Next one is Red Bull, the drink, contains extracts from bull's testicles. Red Bull contains extracts from bull's testicles. Bull's balls. Bull's bollocks you might say and finally the last one is the idea that santa claus or father christmas was actually invented by the coca-cola company so let's now listen to those six dialogues and i then want you to decide if you think they're true or if they're not true and leave your comments at teacherluke.co.uk okay and by the way of course you can find uh scripts for these dialogues on the page for this episode on teacherluke.co.uk. Let's listen to the first one, which is um, the idea that Coca-Cola used to contain cocaine. Here we go. Hi, Deb. Um, Do you like Coca-Cola? It's okay. It's very, very sweet. Yes, but it's uh, it's quite Moorish, don't you think? Uh, Yeah, well, when I open a bottle, I tend to drink most of it in a night. Right, which um, is probably the caffeine, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. There is a lot of caffeine in Coca-Cola, which makes it quite addictive. But apparently, um, there used to be more than just caffeine in it. Well, like what? Well, uh, apparently, in the early days, it used to contain cocaine. No. Yeah. Now, um, as we all know, cocaine is a, a kind of an illegal drug, right, these days. But yeah. once upon a time, in I think it was back in the 1920s or something, mm. um, cocaine wasn't illegal then. And actually, um, you could find cocaine in Coca-Cola, right? Um, so does that, does that explain its name then, where it gets its name from? Well, perhaps, yeah. I mean, the, the uh, cocaine comes from coca leaves, right? right? That's where it's, it's derived from. And if you look at the ingredients on a can of Coca-Cola, mm-hmm. you'll see coca leaves there. But these days, they, they actually extract the cocaine from the coca leaves before they make the Coca-Cola. So you're not going to get high when you drink Coke nowadays? Unfortunately not. Right. But um, it used to contain cocaine. There you go. Ooh, so I didn't know that. Yeah. Thanks. Okay, so there you go. Cocaine used, uh, used to be in Coca-Cola. What do you think? Is it true or is it just a myth? You decide, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, we're now going to move on with the second one. Here it is. Right, Deb, um, you know Alka-Seltzer, right? <laughs> 
Yeah, that's the stuff you take if you've got a bit of a dodgy stomach, right? Yeah. Dissolve it in water and it makes you feel better. Yeah, that's it, exactly. Um, What about it? Well, have you ever fed Alka-Seltzer to a seagull? No. Why should I? No, you shouldn't. Why not? Because uh, apparently if if a seagull eats Alka-Seltzer, it will explode. Yeah. Right, like a bomb. Yeah, it'll kind of go off like a bomb. Yeah. Um, now, um, yeah, apparently, right, the chemicals and stuff inside a seagull's stomach, uh, like, react to the Alka-Seltzer. There's a kind of strong chemical reaction, and it produces lots of carbon dioxide, right? Mm-hmm. And because seagulls can't burp or fart, right. there's nowhere for the gas to go, and it just builds up inside the seagull until eventually it just explodes everywhere. So the seagull just gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and then, and bang. then bang, gone. Exploded. Splat. Splat. Exactly. So, if you feed Alka-Seltzer to a seagull, it will explode. What do you think? Is it true? Is it not true? Teacherluke.co.uk. Leave your comments there. Let's move on to number three. Okay, Deb, right, here's a good one. Okay. You know Walt Disney? Uh, Yeah, he he created Disneyland, didn't he? Yeah, that's right. He's the kind of uh, founder of Disney, the the very well-known film studio. Um, Well, apparently... um, he, he used to be a very, very rich man, you know, when he was alive, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a very private man and quite a strange man, right? Right. And actually, when he died, yeah, people say that uh, his body was frozen. What do you mean, frozen? Well, like, put into liquid nitrogen in a cryogenic chamber. Why and, would he do something like that? Well, it's so that his body could be perfectly f- preserved in ice, so that... Um, in the future, when the technology is ready, yeah. um, scientists can bring him back to life. Yeah, Because he, he thought that when he died, that in the future there'd be the technology to allow him to be brought back to life. It sounds yeah. like the kind of film that he would have created. It does. It sounds like something out of a science fiction yeah, movie. Yeah, totally. But that, it's just pretty strange. It's, it's, if you can imagine Walt Disney frozen mm. in a chamber somewhere in, in like a big castle wow. in Disneyland. It's a bit like a it's a bit like Dracula or something, don't yeah, you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or Sleeping Beauty. Well But you know, he's I, not I don't probably. I don't know if he was good looking or no. not. No. Let's stick with Dracula. Okay. It sounds cooler. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that was the idea that Walt Disney is cryogenically frozen so that in the future when the technology is available, he'll be able to be brought back to life again, a bit like Dracula or something. Okay, here's the next one. Right, um, okay, Deb. Now, you know New York? Uh, yeah, Big Apple, big city on the east coast of America. That's right, they call it the Big Apple. I don't, yeah. I don't know why. Uh, anyway... Um, Maybe they have Big Apples, I don't know. Who knows? They, uh, apparently, yeah, New York's got a massive sewer system under yeah. the city, like yeah, yeah. huge underground tunnels... Uh, with like big reservoirs of water and lots of uh, there's like lakes of drinking water and, and tunnels filled with water that run yes. under the whole city. It's yeah. all connected to the Hudson, isn't it? It's connected to the Hudson River, and it may also be connected to the sea right. as well in some way. But um, um, right now, according to this website that I was looking at, yeah, there are loads of things like living down there, what, like rats and stuff. Yeah, but more than rats. I'm talking about alligators. Rubbish! Well, well, apparently there's like quite a few down there, and they've been there since the 1930s, yeah? Originally, what happened was um, rich families from New York would go on holiday to Florida, yeah? And there are loads of alligators in Florida. Yeah. And they'd bring back tiny little baby alligators as pets for the kids. And then when the alligators got too big... Yeah, it, this is like in New York, the little baby alligators yeah, for the, for yeah, the kids. Yeah, yeah. Once the alligators got too big... And then became a bit dangerous, I suppose. Yeah. Like yeah. Eat, they might eat the kid. Exactly, yeah. Once, well, even even like about a foot or two long, mm-hmm. like too difficult to keep, Yeah, they would uh, flush them down the toilet. Oh, that's really mean. It is, it is mean. Um, but what happened to those alligators is that they, they didn't die. They just went into the sewer system and then survived down there. Because um, apparently it's kind of quite, you know, quite warm. There's lots of water, lots of food for them to, to eat, like rubbish and rats and things. Yeah. And so they managed to survive, yeah. So, and um, there are, apparently there are reports of sightings of these things by sewer workers, mm-hmm. but they've never actually been caught, right? right? But what's interesting is, because these alligators never actually see the light, 
Okay, because it's always dark down there. Because it's always dark. Yeah. Uh, they've gone blind, hmm? yeah, and the colour of their skin has changed. They're actually albino. So they're white? They're white with red eyes. Wow. And they eat babies. <gasps> <laughs> All right, so they're white with red eyes. And they eat babies as well, apparently. Um, right, so that's the idea that there are albino alligators living under the streets of New York City in the sewer system. Do you think it's true? Or is it just a load of made-up nonsense? Teacherluke.co.uk. Find the page for this episode. The rest, uh, I think you know what to do. Use, use the useful language. It could be a chance to practice that language, which uh, I just went through earlier on in this episode. Let's move on, for the, let's move on to, in, in fact, the next one, which I think is number five. Here it is. Uh, Deb, do you ever drink Red Bull? Uh, no, I can't stand the stuff. Um, I got very drunk on it once uh, with mm. vodka, and um, it now makes me very ill. Okay, yeah. Well, apparently, yeah, um, it's got loads of caffeine in it, mm-hmm. yeah, which kind of gives you that energy. Yeah, because you're high, doesn't it? It gives you wings, yeah. I think. Um, but apparently caffeine is not the only thing in Red Bull. There's well, also... Water. Well, water and sugar and stuff, yeah. but also there's another ingredient in it called taurine. What's taurine? Well, taurine basically um, is extracted from bulls' testicles. It's like a magic ingredient which gives you energy and vitality, and it comes from bulls' balls, bulls' testicles. Don't the bulls mind? Well, people are sneaking uh, up on them and taking their so. taurine. I expect so. I don't know, you know, how they get the, the stuff out of the bull's testicles. I wouldn't want to do that job. I wouldn't want to do that job either. But uh, apparently the taurine is extracted from bull's testicles, mm-hmm. and this is one of the ingredients which gives you the energy. Right. right? Think about it, yeah, the word taurine comes from the Latin word taurus, which actually means bull. Okay, yeah? yeah. And we know that bulls have a lot of energy and a yes. high sex drive. Yes. Yeah. And they get the taurine from the bull's testicles and then put it in the drink. And the result is you get more energy and you become sort of more powerful, yeah? And maybe a better lover as well. Wow, so it can affect your sex drive too. Well, yeah, yeah. Haven't you ever... Well, well I might start drinking it again. <laughs> yeah, perhaps. So Red Bull not only gives you wings, but it also gives you the power of the bull's testicles. Um, which is understandably not the selling point of the product. This is now the last one you're going to hear. Do you think it's true? Or is it just a load of old shite? You decide. Hey, Deb, uh, here's a well-known one. Okay, go ahead. Well, you know the image of Santa Claus, right? Uh, Yeah, big fat guy, red clothes, big beard. White hair. Yeah. um, Red, yeah, red clothes, very jolly. Yes, big Uh, rosy cheeks. Says ho, ho, ho a lot. Yeah. He's the symbol of Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, now, what's the what's the history of Santa? Um, it's got something to do with Germany, hasn't it? Something to do with Saint Nicholas. Yeah, that's what people say. Yeah, it's, it's some connection to Christianity, perhaps. Mm. Well, the fact is, uh, it's actually uh, related to Coca-Cola. Uh, apparently, the Santa that we know today was just created by Coca-Cola for their advertising campaigns. Really? Yeah. It has nothing to do with old folklore or traditional stories or Christianity. It was actually just designed by an artist in the 1930s to sell Coca-Cola. Right? Now, if you think about it, yeah, he's wearing Coke's corporate colours. The red and white. Red and white. And Coke have always done big advertising campaigns at Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. So he he was just invented by Coca-Cola. Well, that's really sad. I thought it kind of had a bit more... History and tradition no, to it. No, it's just an advertising campaign. Oh, that's rubbish. Yeah. OK, so there you go. That's my little roundup of some commonly held uh, beliefs. Do you think they're true or not? Um, I will uh, eventually publish the answers um, uh, on the webpage for this episode. But um, in the meantime, leave your comments below this episode. Let me know what you think. Use some of the language which uh, I went through earlier on. And tell me if you think those things are true or false. Now, we didn't get to the whole bit about uh, UK superstitions, so that's going to have to be another episode for another time. But um, for now, I think that's pretty much all we've got time for, isn't it? That's uh, That brings us to the end of this episode. Um, I think so. I think it does. Um, what, what, what am I going to do? What am I going to do with you now? I just wanted to play you this piece of music just for just because I've got an opportunity to... I've got like a minute or so. I'm just going to play you this piece of music just because I like it so much. Here it is.
so funky. So damn funky. I know it doesn't work because I'm so white and English. It doesn't work when I talk about funk music when I'm from England. But I still do it anyway, just because I enjoy it so much. I hope that you do too. Anyway, this song's all about being happy. And this was recorded many years before Pharrell Williams came out with that track called uh, Happy. Ah, I know which one I prefer. Feel free to dance, ladies and gentlemen. Happiness is on the way, ladies and gentlemen, and so are more episodes of Luke's English Podcast. But for now, this is the end of this one. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Leave your comments, as I've mentioned many times already in this episode, teacherluke.co.uk. Join the mailing list. Just uh, You can find the option to join the mailing list on the right-hand side of the website. Uh, click like on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, and if you feel it within yourselves... If you feel the love, then you could always just send me a little donation and there are buttons on the website that say donate. Um, This podcast relies on your donations and without donations, the podcast will eventually stop. So do consider sending me um, a small donation and you can choose how much you offer. It really is completely up to you and there's no obligation to do it. Okay, right, that's the end of this episode. Thanks very much for listening, and I'll speak to you all again very soon. But for now, it's time to say goodbye. Bye, 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 bye. Thanks again for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.